Listen, tonight, um, I want to strike uh, right at the root of consumerism in our culture and in our hearts. I know most of us in this room are making really big decisions right now about um, our lives precisely at a moment um, when we're probably pretty just kind of weary and worn out and, and want to chill. Um, and motives are at work in our decisions. And our decisions are going to shape our lives and the lives of others. And, and truly, with no exaggeration, kingdoms are being built in this very moment. And right when you probably just want to be satisfied with something less, um, many people in, in the world I know, and potentially all of you, I'm afraid of being judged in this very moment saying this, but a lot of people I know are just really excited, like a Game of Thrones is coming back, or um, the Marvel movies coming out, like um, Lent's almost over, and people can do things that they've been fasting from for a while. Uh, people are just looking forward to those kinds of things. We want to be satisfied with something less than Jesus, and I want you to hear him tonight invite you to real life. The way he invites us into, the kingdom he invites us into is narrow and difficult, but it is generous. Let's pray. Father, in your, um, oh, in your goodness, I ask that, that you would send your spirit to be a real help to us tonight, that, that you would give us uh, sober insights into our minds and into our hearts, that, into our stomachs in light of this text. Uh, that we would know ourselves, that we would examine ourselves and consider your invitation. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Right after Jesus was baptized, he was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. The text actually, one, one of the texts actually says he was driven by the Spirit of God to be tempted for 40 days. You can find this story in the early chapters of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Satan personally tempts Jesus, and his temptations were highly strategic. Jesus was tempted with his appetite. Turn these stones into bread, hungry Jesus. Jesus was tempted with affirmation. If you really are who you say you are, and God is who he says he is, make him prove it. Affirm these things. And Jesus was tempted with ambition. I can give you all the kingdoms of the world, says Satan. Appetite, affirmation, and ambition, or as we look at it in another text today, we're going to switch the order a little bit because of how Jesus uses his words. Affirmation and appetite and ambition. For 2,000 years, the people of God have recognized across the, the sort of cultural streams of Christianity, in, in, the, in the Protestant, the Orthodox, and the Catholic world, the people of God have recognized that when Jesus was tempted, there were these core temptations that, that are exposed there for each one of us. It's been worded various ways, but we can talk about these core temptations as affirmation and appetite and ambition. Do you got, yes, yeah, sweet. Thanks, Trent. Um, you might, uh, and if Keely, you're still up there, thanks for you training, Trent. Uh, you, you might think that um, of the desire, for example, as you look at this list, you might think of the desire to, to be satisfied with, with our appetites or to have our identities affirmed in that affirmation one or, or for power and security in the ambition one. These are core temptations that are at work within and among us. 
One contemporary pastor notes that our culture in the West plays on these classic temptations in very obvious ways. He notes that our culture of consumerism preys on our appetites, that our celebrity culture preys on our temptation for affirmation, and our culture of competition preys on our ambition. Do you see that? Affirmation, appetite, and ambition. Our culture affirms that these can be satisfied, that these temptations can be... Our culture doesn't say, these are terrible. Let's ri-. Our culture says, put these in front of you and follow them, and let's try to satisfy them. If you just buy the right product, if you just date the right person, if you just move into the right home, you can be satisfied if you look the right way or, or speak just so or become an expert in the particular field. One way or another, these can be satisfied in our world. This, friends, is not the way of Jesus. The world would encourage you to satisfy your hunger. Jesus would encourage you to go hungry a little longer. The world would have you affirm yourself. Jesus would have you deny yourself. The world would encourage you to pursue your ambitions. Jesus would encourage you to subdue them. And if that sounds harsh, I submit to you what I said about the song If more of you means less of me, take everything and we can sing it. But when we look at it, do you see that the way of Jesus is at odds with the way of the world? And what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? When Jesus was in the wilderness, he was offered satisfaction and he denied it. He resisted. He resisted what the world has to offer and he invites us to follow him in his resistance. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 16. Um, You can open your Bibles, your phones digitally, become familiar with it, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life or her life, for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Trent, if you just leave that up for a bit, that'd be great. What's Jesus talking about here? Look at the text. Actually, look at the text. One of, one of the, the things I've noticed so often, um, quite frankly, since, since moving to the Bible Belt, I grew up in a culture where most people didn't go to church. Um, and so when I was reading the Bible and somebody said, what does the Bible say? That the, the, the obvious thing to do is to look at the text. And, and I, I, I don't know what it is, I, I want to speculate. This isn't in my notes. I got to be careful. Um, but there's this, t- there's this thing I see happening all the time where uh, we're reading the Bible and somebody says, what do you think the text is saying? And everybody looks like up and they don't look at the text. And I, and I, and I speculate because I wonder, is, have we learned that we just get it wrong or something? Like has somebody said, what's the answer? And you say, Jesus. And it's like, wrong. And eventually you're like, I guess I'm not even going to try anymore. I'm going to try to come up with something. I don't know what it is. But, but I, I will encourage you, when there's questions about what the Bible is saying, what Jesus is saying, to look at the text. Look at the text. It's not at the ceiling or, or, or somewhere in the recesses of your mind. Just look at the text. What's Jesus talking about in this text? He's talking about life. His appeal is to life. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is appealing to the desire that everyone around him has for life. And here's the reality about life. 
according to Jesus. If you try to save whatever you have right now, you are going to lose it. And if you lose whatever you have right now for him, you will find what you're really after. That's what Jesus is talking about, finding life. And every one of us in this room, just below the surface of our romantic pursuits, of our degree decisions, of our roommate living situations, of the personality tests we take, of the the myriad ways that we escape or try to have fun, we hunger for life. The college ministry that Kirsten and I were really involved in at the University of Washington had a slogan. If one of our slogans is, be known, know Jesus, that one was real life in Jesus Christ. And it was appealing because the, 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 the people who put that together said everybody's looking for real life, for abundant life. Each one of these things that we do, the, the, the decisions that we're making, the roommates, the, the personality test, all these things, is a way in which we think we might just strike upon and find at long last what we've been looking for. And Jesus is telling us how to find it. Oh, I know how to find it. Well, give up what you got from me. It's a crazy sales pitch. I submit to you, you won't see it in any marketing book, advertising book. You won't study it in undergrad or master's, or maybe at a PhD level you would because everybody just tries to disprove things at a PhD level. But, um, but this is one of my favorite things about Jesus. There's no fine print with Jesus. None. There's no fine print. You cannot read the Gospels and find yourself saying, hey, I thought that when I followed Jesus, I wouldn't have any suffering to do anymore. Or, I thought everything I ever wanted was going to happen just like I thought it would when I followed Jesus. You cannot read that, you cannot say that stuff with a straight face if you've actually encountered his teaching in the Gospels. This is the king who says, in this life, you will have trials of many kinds. This is the leader who tells us, this this is his sales pitch. Oh, you want to follow me? Have you considered the cost? And then he gives you examples of people who would be idiots if they didn't consider the cost and says, you don't want to be an idiot. Let's paraphrase. That's his sales pitch. He does not pressure or coerce. He invites. He invites. And I didn't write this down and I should have near the end, but I'm going to forget it if I don't say it now. One of the things that's so interesting about the way Jesus invites our decision. It's a little bit like this. Okay, so if I said, if I said, hey, you know, uh, we're just talking or something like that in the hub or something downstairs, and I said, man, I would just love so much to move to Manhattan. Like, I love New York City. God, I wish I could live in Manhattan. And somebody walked up to me right after I said that, and they said, hey, if you really want to move to Manhattan, I can make it happen tomorrow. Tomorrow, I get your whole family to Manhattan. I got you a job. I got you a place. You're good. What would that do if what I, what I desire right now or what I think I desire right now was actually offered to me? Do you notice that what it will do is it will actually sort of bring more of my will and my desires to the surface? That it actually increases my, my desires? It doesn't force me to make a decision. It'll make me go, oh my gosh, do I really want to move to Manhattan? Because this person's saying I could do it tomorrow. And now I really have to decide. It's a little, at a a lesser level, it's like saying, hey, what do you want to do tonight? And and I say, I I don't care. And you say, well, let's go see a movie. And I'm like, nah. Like the moment we begin to move toward commitment, our desire gets increased. We begin to have, bring more of our will to the surface. And Jesus is constantly wanting to bring more of your will to the surface. You see, friends, he doesn't want servants. He wants friends. 
He wants sons and daughters. He wants people who will run the family business. He wants your will intact, and he wants you present. So often I think of how many of us want to surrender our will. We want other people to make decisions for us. Jesus will not have that. He doesn't coerce or pressure. He invites, and he invites, and he invites in such a way that if we're listening, maybe even if we're not, it invites a response in us one way or the other. We begin to examine our motives and our desires, and here he's inviting us to find the life that we long for. It's almost as if you could hear him say in this text, you really want life? I'm offering it to you right now. Now this invitation to lose your life for his sake, it's found no less than six times explicitly in the gospel accounts. Many more times sort of implicitly in different sort of phrasings. And it's clear from the other instances of this text that crowds are around him. And it's to people who are already around him that he says this. Which means it is possible for you to be around Jesus, following him like the crowds, showing up for his teaching, witnessing his miracles, eating his food, gathering on a Tuesday night with a college ministry in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and still not being one of his disciples. He's inviting you deeper. To the crowd of people who are already around him, he says, if you want to come after me, in other words, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to find life, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. In case you've missed this, uh, I come back to this quite often. A disciple is a particular kind of student called an apprentice. It's, it's someone who is in training to be like somebody else. That's what the word means. It's someone who's uh, in training to be like someone else. So if you're sitting in an English class here at the university and you're learning about Shakespeare, you're a student who's learning about Shakespeare. If you're an apprentice or disciple of Shakespeare... However, you're not just learning about Shakespeare, you're wanting to write like Shakespeare. Do you see that distinction? If you're a disciple of Shakespeare, you're wanting to write like Shakespeare. If you're an apprentice or a disciple of your professor, you're wanting to learn how to teach English classes on Shakespeare like your professor. Do you see that distinction? you see what that is? A disciple is an apprentice. A disciple of Jesus, then, is someone who is a student learning to become more and more like Jesus. Not somebody who wants to just know about him or learn about the things he says or, or, or understand what he's doing or even just respond to him, but somebody who's a disciple of Jesus is somebody who wants to be like Jesus. It's somebody who positions themselves as a student under Jesus. You'll notice that when Jesus says, if anyone would come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, that is precisely what Jesus has done first. He goes before us, friends. He examples the way. He does more than that. He empowers you to follow him through the work of his spirit. He guarantees that he's going to finish the work he started in you. But the important point for our text tonight is simply that he asks nothing of us that he hasn't gone through first. So Jesus isn't saying, for example, you deny yourself, I'm going to satisfy myself. You pick up the cross so that I don't have to. And that's a really revolutionary idea about God. Or, quite frankly, probably any king. In fact, it's, it's singularly unique when it comes to God. So humanity throughout history has come up with all manner of conceptions about the gods. Throughout, okay? And invariably, we tell the same story. That humanity was created to, to suffer so that the gods didn't have to. 
over and over and over again. That's, that's, that's the gist of many, many sort of uh, mythologies. But in Jesus Christ, God has shown us that he has not kept himself safe from suffering. He's become like us in every way except he was without sin, though he suffered for our sins. And so when Jesus invites you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, he's inviting you to be like him. You might say, he says, watch me and just do what I do. There are three things we must do if we want to be apprentices to Jesus. If we want to be like him, to be disciples of him, we're invited to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. Deny yourself. What could be more anti-American culture than Jesus saying deny yourself? (laughs) Uh, But there it is. Um, We hear these words in the midst of a time in our culture today when we don't want to deny anyone of anything. Most of all, their very selves or their understanding of themselves. It, like truly, if on social media, you resist that in any way in this cultural moment, you are on thin ice. Denying yourself resists the culture of celebrity. A culture of affirmation. Instead of affirming yourself, propping yourself up, defending yourself, instead of you doing you, Jesus invites you to deny yourself. And because he is ultimately inviting you to let God be the one to affirm you, here there is a caution in how we often we let pings on social media and types on personality tests and BuzzFeed quizzes tell us who we are rather than trusting Jesus. Denying yourself means letting God affirm you and not taking that power into your own hands. This is what Like one commentator says, look, let's not make this complicated. Denying yourself literally just means say no to yourself. Jesus says, take up your cross. The implication here is, of course, that each one of us has one. Everyone does. Each one of us has some particular burden to carry in our lives. It's not, and it's not something you pick yourself. (laughs) Like, I wonder what I would like my cross to be. Your cross isn't the career that you want. Or the person that you're attracted to? Well, maybe it could be, I suppose. Um, It's not your life ambition. So I I actually really love uh, working with y'all. I love college ministry. And and there is a ton of burden, I suppose, that comes with me. That's not my cross. My cross isn't doing what I love. Crosses aren't exciting and they aren't adventures that we long for. The cross that you've been given, listen, is the unique set of circumstances that are painful and heavy in your life that God is asking you to carry, and we've all got them. It may be related to your family or temperament. It could be a vocational calling. It could be something God has laid upon you that you aren't sure that you would want if he made it optional. For me, there is a sort of a cross-shaped element In all of that kind of stuff, there are aspects of my temperament, of my family, aspects of my gifts and strengths that I would often like to give away. That there's this um, mess in my life that for some of you, you would not think it's that heavy because for you to carry the burdens I carry would not feel that much like a cross. But for me, it feels extraordinarily heavy. The calling on my life, though, is for me to say yes to whatever God has given me. To carry it wherever he leads and to trust that this is one of the ways that he is bringing me life. 
Friends, it's another sermon kind of all together, but the Christian life in one way can be framed as a human being that takes everything that's before them and everything that's in the world and says, thanks be to God. Everything. Trusting him. Trusting him. His invitation is to pick up your cross. It's for you to say yes to what you would rather be rid of and give thanks to God through it. And in this way, listen, carrying your cross acutely comes against our culture of consumption. The consumer culture that we live in, this culture which encourages us to fill up on whatever satisfies us in the moment. I might have reflected on this before, but Andy Crouch, uh, if you don't know him, that's fine, he's a dude. But he, he was talking about how in, in, the, in the turn of the 19th century, right when 1900 about hit, um, in an examination of the press, of, of the newspapers, the number one word used to identify Americans was the word citizen. So you might read a sentence that said something like, citizens today think that, blank, blank, blank. And if you were an American at that time reading a newspaper and you read Citizens Today, you wouldn't get critical and say, why do they call me citizens? You would just nod your head and see what the point was. That's how common the word citizen was at that time. Fast forward a hundred years, the, the number one word used at the turn of the 21st century in media to define Americans. Know what it is? Have I said it here before? Anybody know? Consumers. Yes, consumers. Consumers. And what's crazy to me isn't that we're called consumers. Obviously, our our economy is just spinning by that. Obviously, if you've taken any advertising or marketing classes, you know how much you're hoping and praying. You're actually trying to create consumers all the time. To fashion people into people who have insatiable hungers. Nobody needs to make a phone that lasts longer than six months, really, because we get bored that fast. And we've been created as people that, that, that are shaped this way. And carrying your cross comes against this culture that encourages us to to sort of be hungry and try to get satisfied by everything. To consume and to consume and to consume and reject anything which makes us uncomfortable. Carrying your cross is, is like looking at your hunger and your desires in the face and telling them to hold on a little while longer. God, my hunger is to be satisfied with this. God, my hunger is to let this go and have this out of my life. And carrying my cross is to say, God, whatever you will for me, I I will take right now. And Jesus says, follow me. He invites you to follow him. Following Jesus is where he comes against our ambition, our temptation for power. In case you don't know, all things are invited to get in line behind Jesus. One of my favorite commentators on this text says that following Jesus is not so much giving up chocolates at Lent as it is giving up on ourselves as lords. It is the the decision to let another lord rule one's life. And this strikes at the heart of our ambitions. It loosens our grip on power and security and it opens us up to an other master. Oh my goodness. We can sing songs about it. But what if we look at it in the face? In a word, Jesus is inviting your loyalty. And that may be the most helpful word for you to remember tonight. Loyalty. Give up loyalty to the patterns of this world which lead to death. Give up loyalty to your stomachs, which always want to be satisfied and are ever hungry. Give up loyalty to your mind, which is corrupt and thinks too much of itself. Give up loyalty to your heart, 
which is easily deceived and so often leads you astray? It's as if Jesus says, swear allegiance to me. I alone can lead you to life, and in order to do that, you must deny yourself. Do you see how the way of Jesus is at odds with the way of this world? Do you feel the uncomfortableness of it? As we linger on a sentence that we quickly want to move past, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Do you, do you, even if, intel, if there's a part of you that like theologically agrees with that sentiment, be, being people who are shaped by culture, who participate in the ways and patterns of this world, that we have an internal kind of resistance against it. I was struck this last week. I was listening to, gosh, I was listening to some audiobook. I forget what it was. But there's, does anybody know much about the Amish community in America? Anybody know much about it? Is there a person raising their hand in the back? Can you verify something for me if I get this right? I believe, I believe that like when, when somebody gets to a certain age, there's like a year where they're sort of, a, a sort of encouraged to go out and live in like big cities. Is that right? What's that called? Say that. Okay, I, so I heard Rome Spreka. I don't think that's what it was. Uh, okay, great. So anyway, I guess get this. I, I forget what the actual statistic is, but it's, it's something like 80 some percent or not close to 90% of all of the Amish youth who spend a year or two doing this don't actually want to live in the world that you and I live in and embody. They actually want, they want to give up the phone. They don't want the, the, the news. They don't want all the electricity in the same way. And, and the rule of life for them isn't actually anti-technology. Like the rule of life for the Amish isn't like, we don't like tech. Like a lot of Amish people use propane and other things. Like they, they run it through is some kind of grid that's more like this. Is this actually going to like in, increase the, the way in which we flourish as a community. And everything runs through this grid. And, and they recognize, a lot of these Amish youth recognize, oh my gosh, the way of life in my community is at odds with the way of the big city, with the way of the world. This would be definitely a big city for an Amish adolescence, I'm sure. Uh, and, and I don't know how many of us are aware of that until we look at Jesus' words in the face. Because so many of us try to come into the church and try to say, hey, Jesus, I've got my hungers, I've got my, affirm- my, my desire for affirmation, and I've got my ambitions, and I'm just wondering if you could help me get at all those a little bit quicker and a little bit cleaner than the patterns of this world. And if you can really help me out, if you can build my kingdom more efficiently, I would love to say yes to you, Jesus. But you look at his words on their face, friends, his kingdom is like, um, the image that comes to my mind is like when you're walking on a sidewalk and a tree's roots just won't be contained. And they're busting and breaking up through the concrete around it. That the kingdom of God is, is breaking up through the cracks of this world. The cracks that are forming all over the place in the, in the kingdoms of this world. And don't tell me there aren't cracks forming all over the place. How many of your friends are satisfied? In a culture that promises satisfaction with every ad. What do depression and anxiety and suicide look like in our world? How many of our parents and elder generations do we look at and just admire like crazy? We need not, we don't need this kingdom to, to go toward its destination faster and more efficiently. We need another kingdom. But it's going to strike right at the heart of the one that you're already participating in most days Jesus' kingdom, his way, is at odds with the way of this world. The way of Jesus is marked by people who deny themselves, carry their crosses, and follow their king. 
And this is emphatically not the way of the world, friends. The world we live in creates different kinds of disciples. The cultural forces at work in our world are shaping us into people who affirm themselves, who satisfy their hungers and pursue comfort, and people who chase security and and power all over the world through their ambition. But if you want to follow Jesus, this simply won't do. In his words, you'll lose whatever life you have living that way. He was tempted by all these things in the wilderness and he resisted. He was tempted by all these things throughout his life and he resisted. And next week, Passion Week, Holy Week, we remember what our Lord did in his passion, in his death before his resurrection. He was tempted to affirm himself. If you're really the King Jesus, come down. And he resisted and prayed for his enemies. He was tempted to satisfy his appetites and instead he suffered and bore punishment, hung lonely and thirsty and suffocated from a lack of oxygen. He was tempted to be ambitious and go his own way, and he submits in agony, praying to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. He resists, he suffers, and he submits. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Resist, suffer, submit. These are the things which the world has no respectable categories for. So if you're trying to figure out how you can go the way of the world and the way of Jesus at the same time, things are going to blow up for you. You're going to be on preachers and sneakers on Instagram. Hey, Kevin. (laughs) Friends, I don't know why you're choosing the roommates that you are next year. I don't know why you're studying the subjects that you're studying, why you spend your money and your time the way that you do, why you dwell on the thoughts you dwell on, why you post what you do on social media. But I know that cultural forces are at work preying on your temptations, on your desire for affirmation, on your appetites and on your ambition. And I know that unless you deny yourself, pick up your cross, whatever cross God has given you, and follow Jesus that you will lose whatever life you're holding on to so tightly. Because the truth is, in the midst of all these decisions you're making, motives and loyalties are at work. And a kingdom is being built one way or the other. And Jesus is inviting you to trust him to build it. His kingdom is way better than anything the world has to offer. But this is harrowing in the end, because if you take Jesus at his word, it means you offer up the only life you have. And it leaves you vulnerable, dependent, and desperate. Which is right where he wants you. His way may be narrow and difficult, but it is generous and it is precisely where real life is found. You won't find life by satisfying yourself, friends. You won't find life by pursuing comfort. You won't find life by securing your position in the world. Even if you could gain the world, which you can't, you would lose your soul. So as you make decisions for the summer and next year, as you decide how to spend your time in the coming weeks, as you choose what to do or or what to dwell on in your heart and in your mind, as you choose how to study, may God reveal to you where you are refusing or resisting to deny yourself, to pick up your cross that he's given you and to follow him. And may you turn and take up his invitation and find the life you long for. It will not be found any other way. Let's pray. Father, I'm I'm struck by how, in a a sense, over and over and over again, 
the pages of your scriptures, um, it just, it simply invite us to say yes to you. That's the real work. That's the real work before us is to receive you, to say yes to you. You ask us to follow you and yet you send your spirit to lead us in following you and to be with us. Like you'd never leave us alone for a second and yet this one thing you have given us that you don't, um, you, you leave intact is our, our decision to receive you, to respond to you, to say yes to you. And I pray that you would send your spirit now to um, stir up and excite our wills. Help us to see clearly, because often, Father, when your son teaches, his word is like a two-edged sword that cuts right through the middle of things, divides things, it reveals things. May we see the patterns of the world that are at work in our lives. Those of us in the room who who are so tempted by our hungers, those of us in the room who are so tempted by a a desire for affirmation, those of us who who are so tempted by our ambitions, help us to see those things clearly, to look at the kingdom that's being built there, and to hear the invitation of Jesus saying, I've got real life for you, just asking for our loyalty. And we say yes to him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.